You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Scott McNamara. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Good morning, Promise Church. Was that just me or did that, those beats, it sounded a little bit like a Will Smith song. No, 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 no. Summertime, summer, summer, summertime, summertime. Has long gone, and we're in wintertime, which is why I'm rocking the jacket, baby. That is actually not the reason. It's because I believe there is an anointing in the room this morning, and this is my preacher's jacket, and whenever I feel it, I wear it. Last time I wore it on Easter Sunday, so this is going to happen. The Lord's doing something this morning, you know what I mean? I'm excited. Who's excited to meet with Jesus? Come on. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. If you're joining us at home, we're glad you're here this morning. Glad you're with us, even though you're not with us physically, you're with us spiritually. So I'm excited for what the Lord's going to do. I believe the Lord is going to move this morning. Uh, there's a lot that I want to say, which is why I'm going to, uh, I've made some notes. I don't always make notes, but sometimes when I feel the Lord's giving me a lot to say, I want to make sure I don't miss a beat. So uh, Holy Spirit, help me. What I would like to do, first of all, just before we begin is I would like your guys' to, uh, permission, if you can give it to me. But I, was, I came to know Jesus uh, by a little lady who's, called, who's my mom, and she prayed on her knees all the time for me. That's the reason I'm standing here. So if you've been, ever been blessed by anything that we've done as a ministry, it's because of my mom. So, and my mom's not very well at the moment. She's sick. I know you're watching, mom. And she's got a condition that's, that's not good. And I believe the Lord wants to heal her. So uh, with your permission, uh, because I've got the mic and the stage and you can't really object, I would like to pray for my mom. Uh, but what like, uh, Sonny, could you come up, bro, with me, please? So, uh, and I want to pray. And I just, whenever Sonny prays, my faith just lifts. So, uh, so that's why I like him in my corner. So come on up, brother. And I just want to pray for my mom. And uh, I just uh, encourage you guys, if we can just agree you know, whatever we, uh, we bind is, is bound, whatever we loose is loose. So, uh, so I want to pray. Um, but yeah, I just felt, bro, to bring you up and, and to have you pray. So, so uh, this is, a, yeah, and I know my mom won't mind, but, but my mom has a condition called Crest, which is not a nice condition. And at the moment, her breathing is, uh, she has labored breathing and she's waiting on a, on, um, uh, on a hospital appointment to get what she needs to help. But the, we need a miracle, let's just say that. So I'm believing for that. So Jesus, I thank you that right now you are the healer and no doctor has the right to make the final prognosis because by the way, no doctor made her. So Lord Jesus, when you took those stripes, Lord Jesus, you took those stripes and as that blood poured out on your flesh, even in this, even in this moment, that's what's going on with Scott's mother right now. The pure blood of Jesus is all over mom's body right now, inside and out, and we cancel every word that has been spoken against that which is the truth, which is this, by the stripes of Jesus Christ, you're healed. In Jesus' name, we declare it, and it is so. 
Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord, we declare it. And I just speak to every demon and every demonic power at work and every spirit of iniquity in the name of Jesus. And I command you by the authority, Jesus Christ, remove your hold right now off my mother in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I thank you, Father, for my mom's legacy. I thank you, Lord, for the souls that are being won because of this little lady on her knees praying. Lord, and we just declare, I ask you for the whole of heaven to, to lift her up. And I pray for supernatural breath in her lungs right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all say, come on. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm allowed to do that because you're my family, yeah? So uh, families support each other. Okay, so what I want to talk on this morning as we're closing and we're bringing this uh, plane to land is uh, evangelism in our series. We've been talking about uh, evangelism made easy, which is also my book plug. You're going to get one for free. One per family. Okay, so no sneaky people with long jackets, like trying to throw a few inside. Uh, But we do have an extra table on the side if you do want to buy another one or you want to buy more and bless someone, okay? But what I want to do, I want to really talk about what is, uh, not even what is evangelism, because, you know, if you know me, I don't like that word, which is, you think you wrote a book with the the word on the the book. But but I don't like that word because I don't believe, it's. I don't like pigeonholing things and saying this is that and this is that. But what I want to do, I want to talk about why do we do what it is we're called to do? What's the, what's the kind of, what's below the iceberg? What's the reason for this whole thing? So this is why I've called this talk, the beating heart of a father. And what I want to show you is an image, a beautiful image. Do we have the image of a father? This is the way that I describe evangelism often. When I'm trying to share my heart and the heart of evangelism, do we have the image of the father holding the, the, the kid? No, we don't. Okay. So there's an image that I love of a father holding his son. It's, in the, it's a pro, taken from the prodigal son. And this is how I phrase it, this. How, when people say to me, hey, how did you become an evangelist? How did you uh, start you know, winning souls? What was your motive? And, all, and ask me all these questions as they try to dissect it. And this is my answer. This is what I say to people. I say this. How can you be held so intimately close in a father's embrace and not hear his beating heart for his wayward sons and daughters. That's it. How can you be held so close in a father's embrace and not hear his beating heart for his wayward sons and daughters? When I came out of the spiritual womb, I didn't say, let's do it. I'm going to be the best evangelist. I'm going to change the world for Jesus. I didn't come out wanting to be an evangelist or even knowing what that was, I came out of the spiritual womb saying, man, God, I just want to love you as best as I can love you. If I can love you good, then I've done a good job. You see, when I came to the Lord, I didn't have a string of people telling me what to do and how to do it. But I just looked to the one that I fell in love with. And as I looked up to him, he looked back down to me with arms open wide, embracing the world. And I knew in that moment what Christianity was. What it was, was for me to love as he had loved the world. If I could do that, then that's what, then I was doing a good job and I was honoring him. How can we expect to do any less? If he is our model, if Jesus is, is the ultimate model of perfection and he is Christianity himself, he is the Christ. And if he, if he did this to the world, then as his followers, how can we expect to do any less? We cannot. You see, this is not a will you share the gospel stroke evangelize question. The question is not are you an evangelist? The question is will you love enough to get over yourself and do something about it? 
That's it. If we don't love, then we've lost. I want to take you to Matthew 22, 36 to 40. The greatest commandment is what we read here. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? They said to Jesus. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Two commandments. What is it? Love God and love others. What is this thing built upon? It's built upon loving God and loving others. And that means we're all included. It's an all-inclusive gospel. So how, do we, how did we get so distracted and, and how did it get so distorted where it became so compartmentalized? It's so simple. It's like love me and as you love me, my love will come back into you and then you want to be like me. And what I did was embrace the world. I want to read you a quick story. You see, because often, you know, people with our carnal minds, what we do is we look at people and we say, he's an evangelist. He's, he's, he's great with people. He's got a great, you know, he's great rhetoric. He's confident. And we say, okay, I can understand people like Jeremy Lamb and people who, and like me, and you say, I can understand you guys doing it. But hey, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a young lady. I'm an old lady. I, you know, I don't really work that way. I didn't have that background. And we kind of make excuses. I want to read your story. If you know me, you know uh, the book that changed my life. It's called The Heavenly Witch. Uh, Katie Booth, the, the daughter of General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. I read this book like 11 years ago. Changed my life. I'm just going to read you briefly uh, something about uh, a synopsis of this lady. Katie Booth, the eldest daughter of William and Catherine Booth, who began, uh, who began the Sal- Salvation Army. She was also known as La Marechale, which was French for the field marshal. At the age of 22, Katie Booth brought the Salvation Army to France, 22 years of age, a young girl. In March 1881, when it was at the height of its debauchery and vice, a godless nation brought to its knees in repentance by the power of the Holy Spirit working through this lion-hearted vessel. When Katie and a band, a band of disciples took the gospel onto the streets, they took to wearing sandwich boards when the police forbid them to hand out leaflets. Their street corner sermons were often interrupted by people pouting them with mud and stones. After repeated attempts by men on the roads to strangle them by their bonnet strings, they began pinning the strings on rather than sewing them. They lived in rented apartments where prostitutes lived in poor conditions. Progress was slow. Opposition was fierce. And those who were converted were given a rough time, sometimes being fired from their job. However, the breakthrough came and many lives were turned upside down and inside out for the glory of God. Katie would often go to the bars and taverns where no one else wanted to go and tell them about Jesus. The men that frequented these particular establishments were murderers, rapists, and many more things. This didn't deter Katie. She was little and frail, but she used to stand in the center of the bar and sing and share about her Savior. As she did so, the drunken revelers would pass comment that her eyes would glow and she would become bewitching. This is how she got the name, the Heavenly Witch. When questioned as to the reasons behind her success in France, Katie Booth answered this. First, it is love. Second, it is love. And third, it is love. If we don't have love, we don't have nothing. Pastor Jonathan did a great 
job. I wasn't here. I was speaking at a different church, but I listened to his service and to his preaching. He did a great job just telling us what it is that fuels us. If we don't love, if what is our motive, if we're not loving, it ain't going to happen. So I just want to pick, pick up on that. And I just want to see, uh, get you guys to see that this is not a pet subject for a Christian. How did we get so deceived to, to, to thinking, you know, this is not like when you're at school and you decide that I will choose this class and I will choose this based on my personality disposition, based on, based on my desire in life and my objectives and aspirations. You see, it is not about you. We do not choose. You didn't choose him, he chose you. You see, this is how I describe it. If, if, uh, just looking real brief, in Romans uh, 8.17, we talk, it talks about, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about how we are, if we are children of God, we are heirs and co-heirs. So what is an heir? An heir is someone who basically, uh, this is the way I describe it, you're part of the family business. So if, I had a, if my family had a business, McNamara and Sons Bakeries, okay? And one day I decided that, I, that I, would, I would come and I would work for my father. So I come along and I'm like, okay, dad, I'm ready, let's do this. And I go and work for my, for my father in the family business. I wouldn't go out grave digging or I wouldn't go out fishing. What I would do is I would bake bread and I would sell bread because the family business is bakery. Now, when you came to Jesus and when he embraced you and when that love from the cross opened his arms to you and you became part of his family, he said, now I'm inviting you. In fact, he actually said, I'm commanding you to be part of the family business. What well, I want to tell you this, Jesus and sons and daughters, the family business is soul winning. That's it. So you're either in or you're out. There is no middle ground. You're in or you're out. Will you be part of the family business? Matthew 28, 16 to 20. You say, well, I don't know if, I, I don't know if it's true. What do you mean? Matthew, 16 to, Matthew 28, 16 to 20 says this. Jesus said, and they sent the disciples to him along with the uh, Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are the true uh, that you are true, sorry I'm not good at reading these screens, true and teach the way of God truthfully and you do not care about anyone's opinion if you are not swayed by appearances. Okay, they said that to him. Tell us what you think, what, uh, what you think, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus said, aware of the malice said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Okay, I don't think this is the right verse. Sorry guys. Uh, this should be... Uh, is that Matthew 28? It's not, is it? No, okay. It should be Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Okay. This is why I like the old-fashioned way. So, uh, because I, li- I like to smell the pages, you know what I mean? Okay, so Matthew 28. This is why I'm not into technology. It never works for me. Ask my wife. I can barely turn the television on. So Matthew 28, I mean, we know the crux of it is to go and make disciples, but I want you guys to hear the bit before. So Matthew 28, 16. Okay, here we go. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and said this, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. Teach these new disciples 
to obey all the commands that I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you, even to the end of the age. Do you see how Jesus gave this commission to everybody? You see, the great commission wasn't given to evangelists, it was given to disciples. So everyone who claims to be a disciple has been given the commission. What is it? It's an invitation. It's a command into the family business. You come to Jesus. What do we read here? We read, teach these new disciples. What does that mean? That means when you become part of the family, you become part of the family business. You don't need to go on a six-month course. You don't need to study at Bible school. You're part of the family. That means you're ready to roll. Let's go. Just go and do what you do. Go and bake bread. Go and win souls. Simple as that. That's what we're called to do. What really breaks my heart is this. In, in two, let me read this to you real quick. In two, two, I think we have this one. Two Timothy, four to five. Okay. This is what uh, Paul said this. Paul's writing to, to Timothy. He says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Okay, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. Now, Timothy was known as a pastor and a teacher. So he's a pastor, he's a teacher, he's got his role. But the Apostle Paul is saying, I want you to do the work of an evangelist. Why is he saying that? You see, it's become a heartbreaking culture that we're living in when many in ministry feel that they have their titles. And their titles make them exempt from sharing the gospel. When we, are, when we step into ministry, we're not exempt. We're empowered to share the gospel. If you're a pastor or you're a prophet or you're a teacher, you're not exempt. It just means you're more empowered. You see, what, Jesus, what Paul was saying to Timothy is like, okay, here's your role. You're more of a pastor and a teacher. But guess what? All hands on deck when you're in the family business. You don't get to sit on the sidelines. Many pastors and prophets and teachers, when they get there, they kind of think that I'm going to pick one of the, one of the five. I'm going to pick here. Yeah, I think I'll be this one. And then they feel like it, it, it kind of excludes them from having to do the work of in the trenches. You know, it's kind of like it's below them to get in the trenches and win souls. No servant is greater than his master. What did Jesus do? Jesus spent his time in the trenches winning souls. Pastors, they, are, they don't have diplomatic immunity. You know what I mean? When you're in, you're in. And it's heartbreaking to see, you know, I travel and I work with a lot of churches and it's heartbreaking to see this hierarchical system of like, here's the pastors, they have the beautiful offices with the hundred books and, and they don't mix in the trenches with the broken people. Well, if pastors aren't doing it, how's everybody else going to do it? If, if we look to pastors, okay, and I love pastors. But if we're looking to pastors as like, okay, that's what I'm looking to, you know, to, to, to represent God and to model uh, Christianity in a sense. You know, unfortunately, it's become that, uh, that, that way. Feed me because we don't go and get fed at home. So if we have this state of affairs that we're in and pastors are not doing it, then what kind of, uh, what kind of model is that set setting? What kind of culture is that setting? But the apostle Paul's laying it down and he's saying, you don't get out of it. Why would you want to get out of it? You shouldn't want to get in it. Do you not see this is what we are? This is the family business. This is what we do. Christianity is about saving souls. Otherwise, what does it become? A social club. If it's not a rescue club, it's a social club. 
I had a friend when I got, when I got saved, the guy I used to knock around with, and he came to me and he didn't really know much about Christianity at all. I was very new to it. I couldn't really defend it or explain it. But he said, Scott, he says, what's the difference between what you're part of and uh, being part of a sailing club or being part of a social club? And he was genuine. He wasn't being derogatory. He said, like, what is the difference? Because for him, he didn't see any difference. All he saw was a group of people that hang out together and talk about stuff. Talk about whatever their subject matter is. Let's talk about God. Let's hang out. Let's, let's get together and we'll talk about God. Let's hang out and we'll talk about sailing. Let's hang out and we'll talk about whatever. He just thought it was another one of those. Because what we've done is we've resorted to this holy huddle. We've resorted to this gathering where we all come together, pat each other on the back and tell each other how much we love each other. Now that's okay if you're doing something about it. If I, go to, if I sign up to, to learn how to be a fisherman and every week when I sign up they say we're going to teach you how to fish and I go every week and I hear stories of fishermen and their conquests of fishing but I never even throw my rod in that water. Why would I waste my time signing up to be part of a fishing club if I have no intention on casting a, a line in that water. It's laughable. But yet, we come and we, and we engage in Christianity and we say, I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be like him. But if you want to be like him, what did he do? Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He came to seek and save that which was lost. So if he's, the, if he's the seeker and the saver, and if he's modeled this thing, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you to do something, but guess what? I'm going to model it first. So all you got to, I'm not going uh, to, I'm, I'm going to practice what I preach, okay? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to show you me doing it every day of my life, and then I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to pay the ultimate price to show you that I'm not just going to talk it, but I'm going to live it out. If that is the standard, how have we turned it into some sort of social club where we look, you look at people like me and think that's your role, that's your pet subject, you came from a crazy background, you, you're one of those evangelist types, you pick that one out of the five. How has it come to that? Because the devil has lied to us. And man, we need to repent. Because I believe it is breaking the heart of the Father. We have people perishing all around us. And we've turned this, we've turned this into a social club. And people die all around us every single day. It is not acceptable. It is not acceptable. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors. Who? Evangelists? No. We, the church, are ambassadors. So what is my role as an ambassador? Is it to come to church every Sunday and to tell each other you know, how great we are and to throw our hands in the air and praise? Is that, is that an ambassador's role? No, an ambassador's role is to get out there, represent, and he's going to make his appeal through you. That's quite profound. So an um, Apostle Paul saying to be an ambassador means that God wants to make his appeal through you. Well, how can he make his appeal through you if you only spend your time in here and never share what you have with people out there? That's not, that's not appeal. That's like saying, come to church, yeah? Once you're in church, I might think about, think about making my appeal to you. 
A lot of people who come to church, they don't even, you see a new person, a lot of Christians don't even go over to the new person and welcome them. Let alone go outside the, outside the church and welcome them. He wants to make his appeal through us. Why don't we get it? Why has it become so distant for us? I believe a big part is because we don't understand the partnership that comes with evangelism. We don't understand what it means to partner with the Holy Spirit. You guys have heard me talking about it. I think the, the first uh, talk I did on evangelism, I talked about giving up all control so that he can take full control. It's about partnership. But we don't get it. And that's why we suffer. But if we could only surrender in partnership, everything would change. So we've got to align ourselves with the Lord. You know, honestly, when you really surrender to the Holy Spirit in this area, and, and you know, in your head, I know I can feel some of your thoughts right now. And you're like, yeah, but I'm not that kind of person. And I'm more introverted. That's lies, man. Get it out of your head. It's lies from the pit. Your character disposition does not disqualify you from your call to gospel proclamation. It's got nothing to do with your character disposition. Nothing at all. Because if it did, out of 120 people in a room, some were introverted. You get, you get 120 people in the room, not everyone's the same. But the Holy Spirit fire fell on 120 heads. He didn't say, no, leave that one. No, no. 120 fires. Okay? So if that's what he's calling us to, and if boldness was a gift, if, he's, if Jesus died, rose again, said, go and wait for the Holy Spirit, and when he falls, he's going to give you boldness to preach the gospel. So that's a gift. That's something he's given you. I'm going to give you boldness. It's going to come from me as you look to me, in me and out. So if that is given by the Holy Spirit, then how have we made it about us where that's your personality, you came from that background, you do that good, I don't do that good. If it's a case of we're all in the family business and he's giving us something to make us bold, how have we resorted to, to thinking it is like that? It's not true and it's not accurate. Do you know what I love about evangelism? Is how easy it is. So easy. Because I'm not in control of it. I love this scripture here. In Acts 16, verse 14, we read this story where the Apostle Paul approached Lydia in the book of Acts. And we, and we read this here. I just love this scripture. Uh, Acts 16, verse 14, it says this. The Lord opened her heart. When she listened to the words of Paul, the Lord opened her heart. You see, if we'll open our mouths, then he'll open their hearts. It's that easy. Did the apostle Paul open her heart? No. The Lord opened her heart. You see, he works in partnership. You open your mouth, he'll open your heart. I talked about the Lord of the dance. I talked about the tandem bicycle. This thing is a partnership. But you're not playing your part so how, why do you expect him to play his? He's called you as a, a member of this family to, to stand up and say, I'm going to be part of this family business and to play your part. Only then will things change. I want to read you something here. Now, I know, I know this morning, this is quite somber, but guys, we need to wake up, man. This is, this is like, I'm, I'm sick of playing around. And I'm not coming up here to entertain you. I'm coming to deliver something that is burning on my heart and I believe the, the, the heart of the Father. I'm not here to dance around the stage and entertain you. What we need to do is we need to get 
We need to get sober. We need to be sober-minded. We're in the last days. This is dangerous stuff. We're playing around at church and it's dangerous. General William Booth, he had a vision. It's called the vision of the lost. And it really impacted me because the Lord really spoke to me through a similar, a similar image. But this is what William Booth said. He said this. He had this vision. He said this. Those on the rock had received the call from the one who had, gone, who had himself gone into the sea. They had heard his voice and felt that they ought to obey it, or at least so they said. They professed to love him and to sympathize with him in, in the tasks that he had undertaken, but they were so distracted by their professions and pleasures and the preparation for going to the mainland that they did not help him. So the multitude went on right before them, struggling and shrieking and drowning in the darkness. And then I noticed that some of the people on the platform were crying out to him to come to them. Many wanted him to spend his time and strength making them happier. Others wanted him to take away various doubts and misgivings they had concerning uh, the truth of some of the letters he had written to them. Some wanted him to make them feel more secure on the rock, so secure that they would be quite sure they would never slip off again into the ocean. So they would meet together. And climbing high on the rock, they would cry, Come to us! Come and help us! And all the while, he was down among those drowning in the sea, trying to rescue them and looking to those on the rock for help. You see, what Booth saw is this. He saw a sea of souls crying out to be rescued. And there was a great rock. And all the ones who had been rescued were on the rock. And they would gather on the rock and they would hug each other and they would sing and they would cry out and they'd say, come to us. And they would call out for him to come because they wanted him to remind them how much they loved, he loved them. Come and tell us how much you love us. Remind us that we're so safe we'll never fall off the rock again and we'll never enter those cold icy waters again. And they spent all their time on the rock crying out for the one who'd rescued them. But he wasn't on the rock He was in the water. He was in the icy cold waters. And as he was down there, he was imploring his people, come, join me, help me, help me rescue my wayward sons and daughters who were dying and who were drowning. But we're up on the rock having a good time. And Jesus is in the icy waters, giving everything that he has. How can you get so far removed do you not remember what it felt like when he saved you do you not remember how lost you were do you not remember your eternal destination you had a one way ticket on a train to hell and he stopped that train and he pulled you off and he said you ain't going there anymore what do you mean he pulled me off you see in John chapter 6 verse 44 Jesus says this nobody can come to me unless the father draws them What does the word draw mean? In the Greek, it's a word called halkyo. It means to drag. I'm going to tell you this. You're drowning in the ocean and he's out there and he's dragging you to safety. It cost him his life to drag you. He didn't sit on on the sidelines and say, hey, yeah, if you want me, I mean, it's cool. I mean, I paid the price. I went onto the cross. I did it. Hey, if you want it, let's go. No. He came after you and he went in to the icy, cold waters And he said, I'm going to give my life for you. I'm going to give up. I'm going to give up until I got you. And he's dragging you to him. And if he would exhaust that much energy to rescue you, how dare you forget what he did for you? 
How dare you resort this thing to a social club where we sit and we come and we gather and we tell each other how, how good he is and come to us and make us feel warm inside. Well, there's people who are perishing. We don't have that right. And I want to tell you this, the devil is a stinking liar and he's lied to, to the church of God. But the days that we're in right now, it's shifting. You can feel it in the, in the spirit. The tide is turning and there's a world that's dying and there's a world that's looking for answers and they're crying out for answers. But we are the hope of the world. The church is the hope and I still believe it. I believe in every single person in this room that you are a rescuer, not a spectator. It took a man from Ireland come through England who lives in Woodland to rescue a man from Portland. From Ireland, by way of England, to Woodland, to go to Portland. That's not right. Because the church in Portland should be out in Portland. You see, the ocean is vast, but we have a, a little space right here. And here's our spa space in the ocean. And the church has been positioned all around the ocean. And what we're called to do is to reach and to save in our part of the ocean. Never mind going off to Africa. We've got enough drowning people right here in America. What we need to do is we need to get out of our, we need to take our lifeboats into this part of the ocean and reach out. I want to read this to you as, I'm, as I bring this thing to close. In 1912, the most incredible ship ever built the, built the Titanic set sail on its maiden voyage from Southampton to New York. Four days after leaving the English port, the ship struck an iceberg and tragically sunk. The disaster saw 1,517 souls lose their lives in the icy waters of the North Atlantic Ocean. The vessel only had 20 lifeboats. And the reason so many died that April night was because those safe in their lifeboats did not return to save the perishing. Each lifeboat had space for about 70 people and many boats had 15 aboard. Of those 20 lifeboats, only one returned for the drowning and for the dying. Out of 20 boats, only one boat went back. Are we going to be that boat? Because the churches are lifeboats. And we got room in this boat. Are we going to go? Are we going to go and rescue? Because he's calling you. There's one of two people in this room right now. You're either sitting in the safety of the boat. Or you're struggling and slowly drowning in the icy waters. But how you respond, either way, how you respond will echo in eternity. What's it going to be? Can you, can you, just, can you just do me a favor? Can you tell these people the two and a, what the two and a half month difference in your son 
what Jesus has done and the difference. In Miraculous. He's the youngest of four children. I was a single mom for many, many years. He watched people go to church all the time and was never able to respond. And when he came to me, I knew he had changed. He may be older than most people that are getting saved, but he has been prayed for since birth. I was like Hannah. I prayed for him. He's one of the only children of my four that I asked to have. I named him Samuel because his father requested that he get to name this one. Because I had felt like Hannah, I cried out for my fourth child. I knew I was going to have one, and I fought his father. And he came forth, and his father named him Samuel. And he sat in church many, many, many times and watched everyone. And it blesses my heart that the final member of my family's flock came to the Lord and has completely changed. Completely changed. Come on, why don't we give God some praise? Come on, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come on, amen. We're not talking about one person alone. We're talking about restoration. We're talking about families being changed. We're talking about cities being changed. You see, the gospel has a ripple effect. Would you not want to be part of that? You see, many of us are looking for ways to get out of doing it instead of ways to get into doing it. You see, the Lord knows that the greatest honor is for you to be in the middle of a story like that. But we're all looking, making excuses to try and get out of it. So Holy Spirit, I just ask you, Lord, that you would stir us right now. I ask you, Lord, that you would search us right now, search our hearts. Lord, would you shine the spotlight of, of your glory into us right now in this moment? Lord, would you just shine, shine, shine into us? Those in this room and those watching right now, I ask you to shine into their hearts. Shine, shine, shine. Lord, awaken us. Awaken us. Salvation is not a rite of passage. It's a right to rescue. It is not a rite of passage. It is your right to rescue. Holy Spirit, we need you. Lord, we've got so lost. We need you. Bring us back. Lord, just like the Titanic with boats of 15 people and sat there listening to the screeches and the screams and the cries of the drowning, they convinced themselves not to go back. 19 boats with people in convinced themselves not to go and rescue the screaming. They could hear and they could see the dying, but they convinced themselves that they would not go through fear. We don't want to be like those boats. We don't want to be like those boats to say, I know people are dying and drowning and screaming for hope all around me, but I'm not going to go because I'm afraid. Please forgive us, Lord. Forgive us and give us back an ache for souls. Where are the men who cried, give me souls or I'll die. Oh Lord, awaken something in our hearts. We ache for worship sets to be slick. We ache for our bank balance, but we don't ache for souls, Lord. God, forgive us. Give us an ache for souls. Awaken your church, Lord, the wider church. Holy Spirit, would you do something inside of us, Lord? 
Spurgeon said to be a soul winner is the happiest thing in the world. You will never win, be a winner of souls unless you're first a weeper of souls. So Lord, you need to break our hearts. We ask you break our hearts for the lost. I want to ask you right now. If you're in the lifeboat, if you're sat in the safety of the lifeboat and you want to say this today to Jesus and don't do it because I'm telling you, do it because it's from your heart and you want to say, God, I don't want to be a spectator anymore. I want to be a rescuer. And if you mean it and you say, I'm going to do it and things are going to change, things are going to look differently, then I want you to come up here at the front, my left, and we're going to pray for you. But only if it's genuine and only if you're going to follow through. Don't come up and say something to God and then don't follow through. Just come up over here. We're going to pray for you. Why? Because if boldness is a gift, then we want it. If boldness is something that's being given by the Holy Spirit, then we want to have it. And then I want to ask you this. So you guys just come over this side as much as you can. Then I want to ask you this. If you're in this room this morning or at home watching and you're in the ICCs drowning and you may be drowning slowly, but you're still drowning. If you were to close your eyes on earth tonight, if you were to sink below those waters tonight, do you know that you're going to be on the safety of the ship of salvation? You see, this is how it works. This is how the Lord showed it to me. All the drowning souls. And then he came along in the ship of salvation with the father at the helm. And he drove through the icy waters. And he threw his son in like a lifeline into the water. And he says, anyone who grabs a hold of my son, I'm going to pull them aboard the ship of salvation. And his son is in the waters right now with you. All you've got to do is grab a hold and he'll pull you aboard. Are you going to take a hold of him? Or are you going to stay treading water? You see, you can tread water and you can have found yourself a bit of driftwood. I've got a good job. I've got money in the bank. I've got a nice car. I've got status in the community. Whatever it may be. All that is is driftwood. It's going to keep you afloat temporarily, but one day you're going to sink One day you're going to drown and one day you're going to die. So what he's asking is, will you exchange the driftwood for the ship? Will you come out of the waters where one day you will perish, guaranteed, and will you take his hand and will you let him pull you aboard the ship of salvation? So if that's you and you don't know Jesus, you don't know that you're on the ship, you kick him back. Maybe you don't feel like you're drowning. Life's good. The sun's shining on your face. You're doing a little swim thing with your legs but you're still drowning slowly. Will you leave the waters and will you come aboard? I'm going to count to three. If that's you watching or here right now and you say, yeah, I want out the water. I want in the ship. One, Jesus died on the cross and rose again for you. Two, he's here right now with the holes in his hands. And three, he says, take my hand. If that's you, stand to your feet. If you want out of the waters and into the ship, then stand. If you've never done it, okay, if you're watching, stand in your living room, stand in your bedroom, wherever you are. Just give God that sign and say, here's my life. Here's my life. Here's my life. Holy Spirit, we just pray right now. Lord, I ask you for the boldness of Christ to rest upon these individuals. I blow away every cobweb of fear, every cobweb of doubt, everything that has held them back and every lie of Satan that has told them that you don't have the right personality or you didn't have the right upbringing or you were the wrong uh, uh, character or, or what you went through disqualifies you. All those lies right now, we take authority over them in the name of Jesus. We smash them and we declare 
in the name of Jesus that you are part of the family business and that the family business is soul winning. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to breathe the fire of God upon everyone right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Breathe on them, Holy Spirit. Breathe on them, Lord. Breathe on them. Boldness, 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 boldness. Lord, I ask you for the power of the Holy Spirit right now to move through their bodies. I ask you that you'd electrocute them with your power. Lord, I pray for a tangible power to move through them right now. That when they leave this place, they will say, I can't keep my mouth closed. There's a burning, there's like burning coals in my mouth and I have to let it out. Lord, I ask you to do something inside of them. Lord, it doesn't matter how small or shy or timid they may be. Lord, it is your fire inside of us that awakens us. So increase it. Increase it, increase it. As the Apostle Paul said, I long to impart some spiritual gift to you. So Lord, I impart right now in Jesus' name, I impart all that you put inside of me. Lord, every gift you put inside of me, Lord, I just release double portion right now, my brothers and sisters. Double portion in Jesus' name. I ask you for the boldness of Christ. I ask you for a longing for souls. I ask you to break open their hearts and let them feel what you feel, Lord. In Jesus' name, breathe upon them. Breathe on them, breathe on them. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I just encourage you guys to, to clear the airway. Clear the airway of repentance. You know, where, wherever the, whatever the Lord is bringing to you, wherever the Lord's showing you where you didn't do this or, or where you should have done, however the Lord's leading you, I'd encourage you in your own words to, to, to get right with the Lord. We've got to start again. You know, His mercies are new each day. Today's a new day and we're going to get new. And we're going to say, God, I want, I want away with the old. I know I haven't lived this thing, but today's a new day and I want it. So I just encourage you guys. You know, I can't pray those prayers for you. That's from your heart. From your heart, just tell the Lord whatever it is you, you, you want to do. You're sorry for, not what, for what you haven't done and get right with them. Jesus, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. And as you're receiving, uh, I just want to tell you as well that we are going to do, after the second service, if you don't know, we're going to do a little training. We're gonna, uh, I'm going to do a little 30-minute uh, training upstairs. We're going to feed you. I think there's going to be childcare. And uh, Aaron might be telling you a bit more about it. I'll let him finish off. But one thing I do want to share is this. On November the 14th, we're going to go and we're going to take our lifeboat into... Um, the Highlands in Longview, in Archie Anderson Park. We're going to take our lifeboat and we're going to spend a day knocking doors, sharing the gospel with any human being that we see. And we're going to offer them a hand. And we want you to join us. Okay? Now, it's a little under the radar because we don't have any permits, but, but uh, we're going to get a little tent. So if you know anyone who has a tent that holds about 100 people, then message me. And we're going to find a tent. Somehow we're going to get one. And we're going to go there. I'm going to put it up. And in the evening, about 6 p.m., we're going to have people like Sam tell, these, tell people in that community how Jesus saved them, two, saved them two months ago. We're going to worship. And we're going to give them chance to respond. So we want you to help us. The only thing we're suffering with in Longview, and I've been knocking on those doors for months, me, Sonny, Tim, Jeremy, and others. The only thing we're missing out on is laborers. We don't have enough of us to knock on those doors. So we need you. So here's a perfect opportunity to join this family business and say, I'll sign up. So if you want to, then literally just like, you know, either email the church or email me or, or just get a bit of paper and write your name down, leave it on here, whatever. Let us know what name, number, email, something we can get hold of you. And I'd encourage you, November 14th, join us.
Amen. Amen. I, I feel like he didn't do this, so if you came up, would you just close your eyes with me? Father, we ask for forgiveness. Lord, I repent. Father, for allowing fear to control me. Lord, forgive me. if you came forward or you feel like you need to I just want you to continue just to say God forgive me I feel like there needs to just be a washing that the Lord needs to do over many of us that many of us have been as, as Scott described for, for decades been in the church yet stayed silent Father forgive me Lord, I want to be a light for you I want to be an ambassador for you I want to take my lifeboat back out Father, I don't want to stay at the shore any longer. I don't want to look at people drowning in the water any longer. I don't want to live with a basket on my head any longer. But God, I want to be a loud voice for you. So Father, I speak against fear in the name of Jesus. Father, I speak against excuses and a religious spirit in the name of Jesus that, Father, we no longer would stand on the rock saying, come to me and you'll get fed. But God, we will go to them. Father, we would dive into the icy waters, Father, for the lost. Father, I ask for faith to arise, for a boldness to be stirred in our hearts in the name of Jesus. Identity to be instilled in our hearts, that we are your sons, we are your daughters, we're in the family business. In Jesus' name.